0: there's this very indoctrinated kind of ideology, and especially in advertising specifically, where you have to win awards for people to know that you're talented. So if you're not winning awards, you're not on cans, you're not doing all this stuff, then you don't feel good enough. And then I had to like learn that, no, it's about the impact. It's about the work that we're doing.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Kate and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers we're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I am speaking with the founder of 55 Media Group, Brandon Williams. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much for being here with me today.
0: Uh, pleasure to be here with you, Kate. I'm, I'm really excited to get this conversation going and talk with you guys. Love the Freelance Founders Network and just excited to chat.
1: Well, we start every episode off with asking about your very first rate when you went freelance. So can you share that with us?
0: Yes, it was a modest $50 an hour. When I first started, you know, with my background, I have a lot of media advertising, sort of like paid media, paid planning experience. So what I came up was was basically the labor of time, what I was getting paid prior to going freelance, but also keep it in mind that like some of the things that I was asking to do were kind of like out of my wheelhouse. So I had... A little bit of qualitative and quantitative experience and understood like strategy, but didn't have like the large scale of it. So when it came to hey, let me do planning for media buying. Here's what I think. Here's what I know. And then the part that I didn't know was putting together like detailed persona work, or if it's like the entire strategy is marketing is part of that. But then also you Intel with paid or if it's out of home or if it's these different things. So I didn't want to, you know, go in there like, hey, you know, I'm this guy who has 10 years of experience in all these different realms. I said, hey, I know I know this space, but I really love this other part of the industry that I'm still kind of getting more grasp at it. And then I wanted to kind of walk my way into once I got a couple more things on my portfolio belt, I was able to kind of scale that a bit more.
1: A lot of people are blindsided and they're just kind of like, I don't know. Is this too much? Is this too little? And I love how you were we're trying to get into your foot in the door.
0: And add to that, most junior strategists start off kind of like around sixty-five thousand dollars a year to fifty thousand. So I felt like I was like a newbie in that world, but not in the in the totality of like all advertising, right? So I knew that I had some skill, but I didn't want to come in there just like brandish like just coming in there just thinking I know it all and and humbling myself to, to that experience as well
1: thank you for sharing that when you're entering into a field that you want to learn more about or you want to like enter into being okay with not being the best right off and taking a step back away from your ego so can you just kind of walk us through like your career and how you ended up in freelance and starting your own company and where did you start
0: Basically, my journey is like very unlinear, like most people in our industry. But I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was always a curious person. I was really into like art, comic books, you know, anime, you know, fashion. I had so many different interests really young. And so my mother really pushed me to go to schools that kind of nurtured that identity. So I went to performing arts school when I was a young kid. I learned how to play the piano. I did tap dancing. I did ballet, did a lot of like things that were kind of like nonconformist sort of things that some kids would be like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? And I think that propelled me as I got older to really pursue art and really love art. So I went to Fashion Institute, studied packaging design, and then went into graphic design and then went to Art Institute and really studied marketing and advertising. And when I got out of school, I didn't go to portfolio school. I didn't really like the whole expectation you get out of school, you create logos, you create billboards, you create posters. And so I I didn't see that for myself. To make a long story short, I immediately went into interning and working with the gentleman, Jeremy Scott. And we, you know, it was not a formal, like a formal internship, but it was one of those things where I got to work on a bunch of different campaigns. And it was like three or four of the guys that I knew I grew up with. And so with that being said, it kind of, took me into a whole different re- direction. Most people don't know. I was a musician for like literally seven years and toured and played music and was doing music and all kinds of different stuff. And it was really exciting. And through that experience, you know, all things don't have happy endings, unfortunately. So I got signed. I had all the, the glitz and glamour of what it was like to be an artist. And I didn't, you know, end up making billions of dollars, unfortunately, which which most of us think like we have a hit record, we get signed. You know, I was on tour with Will. I am. It was a product that at the time Will was working on called Dip Dive, and I was able to basically add my insight to the platform and what I thought the creators should do, like whether it be the content strategy, whether it be sort of the UX design, how I thought it could be better. And it was, you know, just my formative years of just understanding like these sort of things and saying, oh, wow, like what I'm doing is actually what I went to school for. And it started piquing my interest. And so that Kind of pivoted me once I was done with the music stuff, it pivoted me into doing a lot more creative. I got a chance to help produce and create uh, a music video for Will I Am. He paid us a humble thousand dollars. I mean, we had like a three million dollar budget, but we only got paid that much because all we were doing was like the creative strategy for it and like the direction and the, you know, and we were young, so we didn't know anything. And then that pivoted me to say, all right, I want to do more of this. And so basically through A couple years of just stumbling and bumbling around. I worked at a small mid sized agency that did direct response and did programmatic. I had to work on some really cool brands like G Star, Moves in Norway, a couple other brands. And then I did native advertising, did a bunch of like paid media, made paid planning, and that sort of thing. And like I said, I was always kind of looking at the overall strategy when we worked with content clients because we were looking at, hey, we could do paid media. We could do sort of like native advertising programmatic but a lot of brands would have like not the brand identity they wouldn't have personas they wouldn't know what they were trying to do they didn't really understand their audience then we would have this like consulting thing where i would have to like dig into those things and then i started really getting into that and understanding like hey like this is what brand strategy is understanding the positioning understanding the communication understanding these personas at that point i realized all right i don't want to work for anybody else like i want to work for myself I know that I have a lot of interest and I know that I I know a lot of different people so let me bring those different talents into the world and that was kind of the start and then I started, you know, my own company in 2019 and pretty much the rest is history as they say but you know it's not just the stumbled, you know, had a bunch of different clients didn't pay, worked with a bunch of nonprofits unfortunately that didn't have the money that they wanted just took a lot of freelance free jobs just learning And then eventually, you know, had a big client where it was enough to say, all right, now I have a business.
1: I mean, you have such a diverse background from music, fashion, media. It's so interesting to hear your story, just because some people have one or two jobs that they're at for five years each or five and three years each, and then they're ready to go freelance, or they just the world kind of pushed them to go freelance, especially I feel like a lot of people decided to go freelance during the pandemic. So You've been so lucky to have such an amazing career and worked with so many incredible, talented people in different industries. What did you feel like was the biggest challenge or hurdle to get past when you first started?
0: Yeah, so the biggest challenge was convincing people I had the information and knowledge and the expertise. So it was really hard to kind of sell in and bake in what I was actually doing and and really say, hey, you know, I can do this for you. A lot of times, like, especially with the work that we do in strategy or planning or anything like that, there's like a process before the process. So there's like this whole incubation period of thinking and brainstorming and talking. And the client's like, all right, so like, how is this going to equate to me getting to X? And it's like, well, we need to like, peel back the layers first and really figure out how we even got here to be able to get there. And so a lot of that was like a big hurdle for me. And then I think also just being confident, you know, and, and having that confidence in myself and my own capabilities. Like I knew that I had the experience and I knew like, hey, I got to sell this in. But also like sometimes I think as all freelancers do, you don't think that your work is good enough. Sometimes you're like fighting against, hey, I'm comparing myself to other people's work. What am I really worth? You know, and there's this very, there's this very indoctrinated kind of ideology and especially in advertising specifically where you have to win awards for people to know that you're talented. So if you're not winning awards, you're not on cans, you're not doing all this stuff, then you don't feel good enough. And then I had to like learn that, no, it's about the impact. It's about the work that we're doing. And eventually maybe we don't get the awards. Maybe I don't have all the glory, but over time, people will see the work you're doing and see the impact you're doing to these different companies. And then you'll be able to say, well, maybe I didn't win all the awards, but I had the biggest impact and it sustained these people. And I helped a lot of people, you know, I I was more about helping. So those are like some of the hurdles, I think, learning experiences that I learned.
1: Do you feel like when you first were starting out, like you said, you know, in order to get from where we are now to where you want to go, we have to peel back the layers. Do you feel like they... We're just expecting like a lot of like immediate results. How did you overcome that? How did you explain the process to them?
0: Yeah, so it's funny because I feel like it taught me a lot about me being patient because I'm not the most patient person in a lot of cases. But I think for me, I had to break down like, hey, like let's say for instance, I'm doing a social strategy, which funny enough, I've been doing a lot of that recently, but I'll talk to a client and they're saying, hey, I want 20 to 30% growth. On my Instagram, right? And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's look at everything that's going on. Let's also take into account the different algorithm changes, the updates, the tweaks, the features. How can we work on some of the new features that are launching? You know, so I'll stay up to that. But also, like, what are you what are you trying to accomplish with that growth? And I think sometimes clients would say, I want growth because I want followers. Okay, what are the followers gonna do? Is it gonna are you gonna lead to a call to action? And then what does that growth actually entail to you to be able to say, all right. Once I get to this growth, once I do this call to action, like I said, then what? Then what's the next step? So I try to put it in perspective that like this is a 12 to a year, year on end sort of thought process as opposed to like, let's just get the immediate traction. And obviously there's cases where somebody wants SEO, but even that like backlinks, you know, you're buying keywords. It may take a while for things to ramp up before you're actually seeing it. And you got to spend money. I always tell clients, you got to spend money to make money a lot of times. And that spending money is all optimization. It's there's no like there's no not learning. You're learning even when you're optimizing. Even when you're throwing money at something, that's a learning. You're building funnel pages, you're doing all this stuff. Like whatever you're doing, even if it's strategy work, like you do a campaign, you do this brand personas, the campaign doesn't work. It doesn't, the insight's not great. Okay, now you're pulling back and saying, oh, that insight's not great what can we do to pivot? Oh, well, now we understand that this is not the audience we want to talk to. We actually want to talk here. And so I think it's just, like I said, just drill into clients and understand, like, you're not trying to build a flyaway brand. You're trying to build a legacy. You're trying to be here for the next 10 to 15 years. And so that patience needs to be established right away when you're talking to someone and say, hey, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to build, you know, are we just trying to sell something real quick? Or are we really trying to build something where you're going to make residual income, whatever your business model is forever for the next 10 years? Do you want to sell this? What are you really trying to do? So yeah, I went on a bit of a tangent there.
1: (laughs) I kind of love that. You know, I think it's so true. You know, nothing was built overnight. I mean, there are businesses that open up all the time, but like the ones that last are the ones that really take the time to really focus on their learnings and like what works, what's not working, if this isn't working, let's pivot, find what's going to work for our company. And what is working for one company isn't going to work for every company. And that's, I think, something that you, you have to remind clients on a regular basis about, I'm sure, just because of the type of work you do. How did you scale from just being a one-man show to now having a team, working on these huge productions? How, how was that process?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm still going through the process now. It's tough, man. When I first started off, some of the stuff that I was doing, even the early on with the Will I Am stuff, I mean, that was a big production. And Mike Jerkovich is really the lead director on that campaign. But you know, we had like 60, 70 people in the room. Like it was so many people. And we just had the the incubation of ideation part. And then we were on set. And then obviously we were in the editing room. And then that was it, you know. But when I first started, it was just, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't thinking like a business. I was just like, hey. I got a bunch of friends who were really talented, really have a lot of skills, and then somebody was like, "Hey, you guys should work on this." And then we did it. It wasn't even an idea to think of it like as a company, and that at that point, that was like the first time I realized, "Oh, no, I'm a consultant." Like, this is what I'm doing. And so that grew into like where we are now, and it was a process from that point to learn Listen, the turnaround rate in marketing and having an agency is so huge and it's you're lucky enough to get some really solid people you can work on and depend on that are really down for the cause and love what you're doing and involved but you start learning that different people have different you know priorities you know some people see the vision long term other people are like hey I just I'm here to make a check I'm here to do some work that I care about that's fun and then after that I want to go and do whatever I'm going to do. So it's one of those things where I think as, a, as an owner, you get really, really, you know, you get really sad. I think, you know, you, you want to keep everybody. You want to do everything. You want to have like 20, 30 people. And when we had that, it was great. But the, I'll be honest with you, to be super transparent, it was the most anxiety and stress I ever had because you're literally living to pay people to live. So you're responsible for these people. And not only that, like everything, you, every move you're doing is predicated on, how it's going to best solve like problems for everybody, or how this is going to affect the rest of the team. And so, since then, we've actually, to be honest with you, scaled back. Unfortunately, we've had some people leave, and that's been kind of sad, and that sort of thing happened. But I think you know now we're at a place now where we're comfortable to say, all right, we're going to have these core group of people hire these freelancers in these different different network that we really can depend on. So that's been kind of like where we've been at towards the end of the year. I think for me as a small business, you've got to take the punches. I might go from being like a 20-man group to having five, to having one, to having 20, to having 30, then back to one, to two, because of the fact that you're still evolving, you're still evolving as a business and you're still learning how to be a better manager in retention and give people something that they want to stay. Because even if you do that, like even if you try to give people the best, whether it's packaging, whether it's, you know, insurance, anything like that. People have their own priorities and want what they want. So you have to be OK to say, this might be a, of a season where I helped someone, I grew somebody in this particular case, and they go on to do do other things. And that's great. And you love that. You love to see it. And you pat them on the back. You're sad, but you're excited to see them grow. And then a lot of times we have people who leave, like we had a producer who left our company, went on to do more freelance work and came back and worked on us worked on some other stuff. I think that's the, the biggest kind of lesson in learning and just development I've had to go through, just not having my ego so involved. More so like have quality people that you love and appreciate and, and feed them and support them and give them good energy and put them in good positions so they go off and do better things. And if they come back, great. Right, they don't, you always have that lesson and season that you learn something from.
1: Freelance Founders is more than just this podcast. It's a thriving members-only community and resource hub for the top creative and marketing freelancers from around the world. Our digital platform acts as a home base to freelancers across 49 cities, 13 countries and counting. As a member, you get access to like-minded individuals, exclusive freelance jobs, professional development workshops, a library of resources, and invites to exclusive in-person events, all available wherever you are. One member even said, if it weren't for freelance founders, I would have quit freelancing. This community has introduced me to countless creatives, helped me increase my rates and find lots of new jobs. Apply by April 1st to get access to our spring cohort. The journey you've been on with starting the company and then, you know, building it, then scaling it back. I feel like that's a very like natural kind of thing that people don't really talk about when they're starting their own agency. Yes, a lot of people are focused on scaling and growing and then they, they want to get investment. And yes, you have to have that trajectory. You have to have that like upwards trajectory, which puts so much pressure on a person and a company because it's like, if you don't do that, you're kind of using that as your way to measure success. I appreciate you sharing that because I do feel like that's something that is never always talked about. The fact too, it's like sometimes You can offer them, like you said, the best packages of health insurance and retirement funds and pay. But if it's not the work that's really keeping them interested and they're not there for like the cause and down to work for the cause, it's hard to keep them.
0: A hundred percent. And I want to add, because I didn't really touch on the production piece, like we had a space we were basically building out and really excited about. And the art director who I was working with at the time, you know, just had a different vision. You know, he wanted it to be a space where there was different people coming in and out, more of like a space where multiple photographers were in and out and they were doing different things. I was really uncomfortable about that for reliability issues and not to tell too much of the situation, but he's an art director, super great space, has nice bulbs, has every camera you can think of in it. And what ends up happening is I wasn't there, but late at night this drunk driving and just runs into space. And you know, you don't think about that. Of course, insurance took care of it, but then, you know, that sets back time. Now there's budget involved. And so it made me want to think back like, hey, like how can we be as nimble as possible? Things happen, but you have a whole entire space that gets knocked down and now you're out of commission for three or four months. That's going to really hurt your bottom line. That's going to take away from like what people are getting paid. Now this affects so many different other things, that whole department now. And I just, For me, like going into 2022, I was like, you know, if it's just me and like four four freelancers, I'm okay with that, too. You can't kill yourself to to make a dream happen that's going to eventually make your whole body not be able to sleep at night and your anxiety go through the roof.
1: Totally. I mean, I also think, too, it's like good to see the different types of options and how your agency works. It might not be having 10 full time people right now, but having freelancers, because that's just the way that it's working. And that's, that's allowing you to give that space. That's allowing you to have different types of clients. That's allowing you to take on those clients that you want to do like a pro bono project for, which is amazing. And you should have that opportunity. That's the reason why we've created these types of jobs and careers for ourselves is that it gives you that flexibility and it's okay. You know, I was going through a phase for like all last year, beginning of last year where I was like, where do I want to take my company? Like, is it a company? Is it not a company? Like, can I call myself a company? Because it's just me. Am I supposed to be hiring like people? And it was one of those things where I just was like, I had to really sit with it and just kind of be like, it's okay. Like what you're doing is where you're supposed to be right now. And if it's meant to scale, like you'll know the time when you can start bringing on those full-time employees. The mission for 55 Media Group is to support the BIPOC community. How do you approach this every day through your work?
0: I think that's one of the best things that as a freelancer and as a person who started a company I was able to do, like decide what I cared about immediately. We straddle kind of like a DEI sort of narrative and what we do. I I don't consider myself a DEI specialist at all, but a lot of the RFPs or a lot of stuff that we get in kind of speaks to that and it's like hey we don't know how to speak to this particular community this disenfranchised you know if it's LGBTQ if it's transgender these different disenfranchised communities but outside of that you know BIPOC black and indigenous people of color it's like large in part who we really talk to and i think with the work that we try to do it's it's mission work it's you know it's stuff that we do within the community we try to get involved with stuff locally in Los Angeles watch community core you know different things going on in the community this specifically caters to the community we're talking to. We try to make sure that even in regards to like the clients we pick up, you know, we just worked on young people in recovery, which was like an amazing project all about recovery and people dealing with that um, and substance use recovery. And specifically when it comes to BIPOC people of color, I guess there's not a rubric in that community about that information, about how to deal with certain issues when it comes to substance use disorder. So we were able to create a toolkit We interview people, we talk to some specialists, we are able to do this whole, you know, survey and everything. And it's the first that they've ever done in this community ever. So like that kind of stuff is like so enriching to do. And I think that we always try to make sure that whatever we're doing, our heart's in it. We love it. We're excited about it. And not only that, it speaks to some of the things that I think a lot of the people I work with and the people within our group and our core team kind of deal with on a basis, you know, for me, like being a person of color, there's a lot of stigmas, obviously around work and getting work and jobs and credibility and sort of, sort of things like that. And being able to work with clients that understand those issues. And really you're like, Hey, you know, we see that you care about this work. You're, you're in the trenches, you're, you're about this. And also like, you care, you're not just like talking to talk, Add to that, I'm part of 100 Roses for Concrete, which is like a nonprofit that always focuses on the whole mission behind it is, is to tackle things within the marketing community, specifically for people of color and people of, of different races and ethnicities and genders, but specifically tackling these different issues. I get a chance to also be a part of this stuff happening on the ground floor, also within you know C-suite level executives, talking to them, understanding what they're dealing with. On the agency side, when I'm pitching to clients, I get to talk about it. It's like a feeling of like I'm in it every day because I'm dealing with all these different dynamics of it. And I'm part of this culture that I feel like we're fighting. We're not sitting here like, hey, this is going to change. We're like, oh, we have to change. We have to change it. One of the biggest things I love right now that I'm really into is this thing called Demos, which is a platform that talks about it's blacks for uh, tech and like talks about how a lot of tech companies sell information to the FBI and different companies to basically target people of color in really ridiculous and horrendous ways. So you start realizing that kind of stuff and you're like, wow, like I'm in a marketing media space where potentially the data I'm dealing with and procuring could be used for nefarious reasons. Obviously people know that, but like in the way that it directly affects my community, like it's, people, kids, young black kids, young Latin kids, young brown kids. And when you start learning about that, you start being so invested in it to to want to like be about that more.
1: I love how involved you are and how you are an advocate when you go to your clients and you're talking to them. And it's like very, it sounds like a very open conversation, which is amazing. And I think more of those conversations need to be happening. How do you feel that us freelancers who are working with these clients whether they're small companies or larger companies, influence and advocate more diversity in their campaigns. How would you suggest us like approaching that? Super
0: tough. I feel like we get RFP'd and and I get so I get hit up so much during Black History Month. And it, it's, it's I love it. You know, I love the planning that goes into it, but then it's just like that month, right? Or if it's Latin Heritage Month. And so I think it's about making sure that You know, the stuff that you're doing is not tone deaf and asking the client, like, have you thought about this? You know, making sure, hey, can I have a meeting with the stakeholders? Who's involved? If you see a bunch of middle-aged Caucasians or even all Black people, you know, you don't want any bias, right? So you're like, all right, how do you make this more diverse? There's no women sitting here. Like, have you guys thought about bringing a consultant in who specifically speaks to this and any sort of things like that? I think it's also like making sure that in the marketing materials that you're also providing that sort of transparency and that clarity in what you're saying, messaging, the look, the photos, everything that you're doing is inclusive and and you're telling the client that you need to be thinking like this. Also with the strategy of social media, making sure that they're following and, and procuring clients and, and and accounts that are inclusive and they're learning about these new accounts. You know, I'm always telling my clients to go on TikTok because I feel like it's one of the best places for that sort of conversation when it comes to Gen Z. They they just They're able to talk about these things in a much less cancel culture kind of way. It's like, hey, this is the truth. This is what's going on. If I find an article that's interesting, I'll send it to my client. Say, hey, did you know this? Like, I think this is so interesting. Check this out. This would be great. Like to get on the doc, I would love to talk to you about. And you know, a lot of times it's also like the way you approach. Right, I'm getting better at that. I think as a man, I have a bit of like mannish explaining that I do, where I'm like, you got to do it like this, you know. But you have to like have a tactical way of like, hey, you know. I noticed, you know, the marketing materials we're using, I would love to be more inclusive. You know, let's ha- I would love to get on a call. You know, I have somebody who specializes in this, right? And you don't have to come off like you're a tastemaker of everything. You know it all, but just, hey, you know, I had this conversation really enlightened. I would love to share with you about this information and talk to you about this kind of stuff, you know, and being able to have that dialogue. And I think a lot of times clients love that because if they, if they want to grow and they want to sustain, like we talked about earlier, they understand that the future, it looks like diversity. It doesn't look like a bunch of middle-aged white dudes in a corner in a boardroom talking because that's not what the world looks like today. And so they understand that. So they're going to want to be able to be a part of that. And a lot of times they just don't have the information to put that perspective in their lens.
1: Yeah. I, I think also you you touched on it when you are like, you know, I get hit up for Black History Month and I love all the planning. And But I think it's about like celebrating these different, all different types of communities throughout the year. And like, I love that there's these months, but like, it's like pride as well. Like, I feel like a lot of brands focus on like pride month, you know what I mean? It's not like, and it's something that should be celebrated throughout the year, you know, because that is where we are. There's no rules that it's just for the month. I think also a key thing too, is like, making it feel like it's authentic. I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, we need to just make sure we include this and this and this. It needs to feel very just like natural and authentic. And we have these new companies that are very Gen Z driven. And then we have these heritage companies that have been around for decades. And I think it's really interesting to see what these new companies are able to do and how they are coming out just from the gate of inclusivity Then like, these heritage companies that are having to keep up with the times. And we also are being hired to come in because we are specialists in our fields. And it's having those types of conversations, referring them to the right resources, referring them to people like you that could come in and explain a little bit more about what you've been involved in and how you and how you could help. And so I think that that's a really great tip and a really great way for people to be having those conversations with their clients
0: everybody can't be Ben and Jerry's. So there's also like a, a level of like, you have to be honest with your clients. say, hey, there's extremes of this, right? There's, you know, when you talk about brand architect and the brand hero kind of thing, there's like the hero, the disruptor. Right. And so like, you have to think of it in that way too. Like every brand can't be Pandagodia. They can't do what every brand's doing. So you have to find like that piece where you know, when you're talking to the stakeholders, when you're talking to the CEOs, when you're talking to the decision makers, where you know like, oh, like this is the little bit that they can relate to. Let me like turn the knob a little bit here and just test the waters and see if they're okay. And then sprinkle that down to the marketing department and the creative team and all that and and kind of test the waters and see how lenient they are about this. And then once you, once you hit a nerve or something that really connects with them, they're going to be like, oh, wow, I never thought about that yet. But yeah, man, like, this is going on. You didn't know that? Like, you know, they're like, wow, like I never thought about it like that. And then, then that kind of leads into them being excited. Cause also like, it has to be organic. So I don't want to have to push you. And it has, it shouldn't be like a secondary thing of like, I'm being reactionary now because I know that I need to do it. It should be something that like, Hey, you know, we've gone through this change, we've learned and we kind of developed and we're like, we just need to do better. And we don't know how. So, and I love those kind of conversations too. Like clients would be like, we don't know how to do better like, tell us what we need to do. And I'd rather someone say, I don't know, than we need to do. I never forget, one of these big CPG brands came to us early on when I started my business and was like, hey, we want to do a campaign for our ex brand that's going to basically pay influencers to post and whatever they post will basically match the money to whatever nonprofit they post about. Right. And I just was like, you know, that's cool. But like, that's not really going to like last, you know, and I kept telling them I was like, you know, what you could do, and this was like an idea I had. I was like, you know, you could go into different neighborhoods and your ex-brand can go and set up pop-up shops and you can go and like pass out informative informations, do like things where you teach young entrepreneurs how to start a franchise. That to me is way more worth it. That will go way further going in that community, figuring out a person, a point person, and building something and having it there and as a staple than to go and just shove off some money and long and behold the campaign didn't do anything. You know, and it was one of those things that like I will never forget that. And I was super excited cuz it was like a blue chip company, big company, had a huge budget, but it was like they didn't want to do the work. They didn't want to like actually change anything. That's what you deal with a lot of times when you're talking about this kind of stuff. It's like people will do the lowest hanging fruit uh,
1: possible. It's so interesting having these like open conversations because I do think a lot of people are having these conversations with their clients or wanting to have these conversations with their clients. And so it's really important to advocate for different communities that are being underrepresented and how you can get your clients more involved and educating them to help be more inclusive in an authentic way. Well, I have three questions that we always wrap up with. So I'm going to dive into those. When you're on your own, it can be really hard to measure success. So what does success mean to you and how do you measure it?
0: That's a good question. Success means to me having the autonomy to say no, being able to say no. That's really important. Like being able to be like, no, I don't want to do this or, hey, I'm going to take a, a three month sabbatical and go into the Malaysian mountains and go discover myself or become a Buddhist and come back and work on some stuff. Then that to me is important. That's success.
1: It's hard for people to learn to say no. I struggle with that. So I appreciate that that is your success because I want that to be my success. Like I want to get to that point. I'm almost there, but I want to get to that point.
0: Oh, you're com- it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> you got it. You got to see it to believe it. You you already see it.
1: And then we all have like our own, I don't know, some people have mantras, some people have like a tagline. My mantra and what I tell, I tell everybody who's coming into the freelance world, don't let your highs be too highs and de- don't let your lows be too low. Do you have like a tagline or a mantra you like share?
0: It's so funny you said that because somebody told me that. I mean, a decade ago, they were like,
1: Brandon, you
0: know, you're like, you get to like, when you're on your low, it's like low. When you're on your high, you're high. Like, just be even kill. I think- it's one of the the most corniest ones but it's like help me is profit first meaning that like everything needs to get paid out like the business all that stuff then you pay yourself right and so like making sure that if you're in the business to make money really knowing what that looks like and being okay with what that looks like long term i think one of the books that i read a lot is called profit first and it talks about that and i think it was one of the best like kind of things I always say to myself, like profit first, like make sure that you're making a profit, make sure you're paying your business and then you take a pie and you can pay yourself. But if you're not, taxes aren't paid, all this stuff, then you're not profitable. I know it's not the most cool one, but it's the one that I think has saved me a lot in life.
1: But I think it's like so practical.
0: Yeah, it's a little cheesy,
1: but. (laughs) Okay. And Brandon, the last question to round it out, first question for you was, what was your first rate? To finish, what's your ballpark right now?
0: So it just depends on the work I'm doing. So typically for like brand architecture, brand strategy stuff, it's anywhere from $85 to $95 an hour. And then for like social content strategy, if it's like, depending on what kind of work, I'm not a great graphic designer, but when it comes to just thinking and ideation and copy, you know, it could be anywhere from like 65 to 75, but it just all depends on what I'm doing. I typically stay in those two places
1: I think that's great. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Brandon, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you.
0: Of course, Kate. And I appreciate the community and thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to my chat with Brandon Williams. You can find out more about Brandon by visiting his website at 55mediagroup.com. To learn more about Freelance Founders, head over to our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate, and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.